Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. So let me just uh, run quickly through last week, and then we need to pick up a, a point before we go to the uh, scripture itself. Now last week we particularly uh, dealt on the church, departure and decline. And we move through the uh, section here just uh, on the subheadings we've got here. The church, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church, the pillar and ground of support of the truth. And the righteous nation that uh, God gave truths to. And last week we particularly looked at an imaginary, but uh, nevertheless I believe a very real one, council of hell where Satan... Uh, and his hosts got together to attack the church because, as I said last week, Satan hates Christ, the head, and he certainly hates the church, which is his body. And then we saw various areas of attack that the enemy decided in what I referred to as a council in hell. Attacking the church as the body of Christ, its leadership and membership. Attacking the church its unity. Attacking the church its purity. Attacking the church in its power. Attacking the church in its faith. Uh, and the truths delivered to it, and attacking the church on uh, the whole area of obedience to the word. And we saw how uh, last week the whole uh, plot of the enemy was to get the church off of the ground of faith and uh, obedience onto the ground of unbelief and disobedience. And we saw how the apostles actually warned of this falling away, this apostasy that, sh- that would come. We considered briefly some scriptures of the departure and decline and the attack on the truth and how the church entered into uh, the, the dark ages and as Martin Luther fitly called it, the church's Babylonian captivity and uh, how it was the age of mixture and uh, we used the parable of the woman, the leaven and the meal and how the leaven of mixture and a false doctrine was placed in the meal, the pure meal of God's word, and as leaven or yeast, a modern word for it, uh, just works silently, secretly, subtly until the whole is leavened. We saw how the word of God became totally corrupted uh, by the leaven, the mixture that was put in it, uh, and, and, and uh, the, the dark ages became the age of corruption and substitution. And uh, it looked as if, and we looked at the list that I gave you last week, how there was attack on signs and wonders, gifts of the Spirit, apostolic ministry, laying out of hands, prophetic ministry, baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, plurality of eldership, water baptism by immersion, priesthood of all believers, the name in water baptism, and uh, so forth, justification by faith. And everything was substituted. We went through uh, just very briefly a list of 51 things that are in the text. All right, well, thank God, as we look at the dark ages, it looked as if the devil had conquered the church and the light had gone out. But God said, I'm going to restore to the church everything that's been stolen, everything that's been lost. How many can say hallelujah? Now, I want you to turn to uh, uh, the book, um, or let's turn just to, down the bottom of those who've got the sheet from last week, let's uh, turn down to the bottom of it, and I want to just remind you of two or three scriptures uh, on the promise of restoration. As we go back, if we can just sort of uh, turn back eight weeks here, on the whole promises of restoration that God gave uh, laws to Israel, as we said, God never gives laws to man which he himself cannot or will not fulfill. So when God gave the laws of restoration to Israel or restitution, they are laws that he himself 
was going to fulfill. Because of his foreknowledge and uh, known unto God all his works from the beginning of the world, he saw what would happen to the church and the attack on the church and the things that would be lost. And God promised that he would restore to the church everything that we would, uh, would have been lost over the years. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 42. And uh, if you haven't got your sheet from last week, it won't hurt to uh, rewrite these scriptures. I have about um, 20 chapters to cover tonight in one lesson. So as I've constantly uh, encouraged you, do buy the whole text where we deal with these things uh, far more fully. All right, Isaiah chapter 42, and I'm reading verse 22. And just uh, in application, if this was true in Isaiah's uh, day, how much more true was it in the Dark Ages, the uh, church's Babylon captivity? All right, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 22. Isaiah laments the fact, but this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivers. They are for a spoil, and none says restore. Just a very uh, suitable scripture for condition of the church in the dark ages. Snared into denominational halls, we might say, prison houses, locked up for a prey. Scriptures taken from them. Bible uh, just uh, locked up in monasteries, not open to the people. Uh, they were for spoiled, and they were spoiled in the dark ages by the church of that time, or the great denomination, church of the middle ages, and none said restore. No one was talking about the message of restoration. Well, God said it's not going to continue like that. God was going to raise up ministers that would say, Lord, restore, restore to the church everything that's been lost. Acts chapter 3, and we won't turn to this, but uh, I will quote that particular verse that we started off with on our first session on the eight hours of restoration. And Peter's second sermon after Pentecost. And Peter says in Acts chapter 3, I'm quoting it, you can turn to it if you want to. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of the seasons of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heaven must receive as we saw that that uh, uh, word receive there is literally retain, hold back until the times of restitution or restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So Peter is telling us very clearly that Jesus Christ will not come back the second time, uh, that the heavens are going to hold him back, retain him, until the times of restitution of everything that God spoke by the mouth of the prophets. All right, so restoration. And then I want you to turn over the prophecy in Joel, which is one of the most uh, important, uh, important scriptures on restoration. Of all that the prophets have spoke, Joel, uh, just the book, book of Joel for a start here. Where's Joel? He was here this morning. Okay, page uh, 1129. All right, now I want to read a couple of verses from Joel and then uh, we try to get this on the uh, presentation on the PowerPoint but it just didn't seem to work. So you have got it in your uh, notes there. All right, the book of Joel. And Joel is a prophet of restoration. And in chapter 1, he's describing the condition of what has happened in the land. Uh, physically, geographically, and everything like that. But uh, we pick out the spiritual lesson here. 
verse 2. Joel chapter 1, verse 2. Or I'll read verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye elders, and give ye all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Second generation. Let your children tell their generation, third generation, and their children another generation. So four generations to hear this. Uh, I'm going to read it from uh, old authorised and new authorised. That which the palmer worm hath left has the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Uh, new King James puts it this way. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust hath eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Now, Joel chapter 1 is just a picture of devastation, desolation. Whole chapter, I wish we had time to do the thing more, uh, more properly, fully here. But after the devastation in chapter 1, in chapter 2 he starts off with, verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the, earth, of the land tremble for the day of the Lord comes, it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Then in verse 12, he calls the people to prayer and fasting. Turn you to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will return, uh, turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Then again, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn or a sacred assembly, gather the congregation, the people, the congregation, the elders, the children, nursing babies, the bridegroom and the bride and so forth. Let the ministers weep before the Lord and say, spare your people. After this tremendous trumpet call, and I can't take time to explain some of the terminology, the blowing of trumpets, the feast of trumpets, after Passover, after Pentecost, blowing of trumpets, which I personally believe we're in today. After this call to prayer and fasting and humbling ourselves before the Lord, then comes the promise of restoration. So in verse 23, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain, the first month. The floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust have eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army among you. So chapter 1 is desolation. Chapter 2 is a call to repentance and revival and restoration. And chapter 3 is a harvest time. That's the picture that we have. Now, in the top of your uh, uh, sheet that you've got tonight, I've got a little diagram, maybe if I hold the big one up because we reduced it here, called the Dispensation of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about that because it's based on the book of Joel. Now, a number of years ago, uh, and uh, this, uh, the uh, full uh, text of this is in the textbook I did, I uh, wrote to jo uh, Dr. Jack Hayford and asked permission to uh, reproduce this chapter, which he kindly gave me. 
A number of years ago, there was a, a, a lady, actually she was the founder of the Four Square Movement, of which, Jack, uh, of which Jack Hayford is now the president. She was about 17 years of age and uh, was going to go to China and do some missionary work. And uh, just before she got on the ship to go, uh, she was uh, asked to come and speak at a meeting in a particular place in London. She was just a girl of 17 and was full of fear and everything like that. And uh, she just tells, he, let me just uh, read a very little bit here. While in London, England, waiting for the boat in which I was to embark for China, I was asked by a wealthy man if I would speak to a congregation of people for them that night. Inquiring of the Lord, I felt it was his will and told the man that I would go that evening in beautiful limousine uh, with... Uh, uh, Liverwood uh, attendants called for me and I entered with weak and self-conscious steps crying, Oh Lord, do help me to do your will tonight. On the way, just condensing a little bit, she didn't know what she was going to speak on. She felt so, uh, so uh, intimidated. Then she was led through the door, she says, into this uh, platform where the whole building just packed to pack uh, with people. As she stood there, she's just praying, God, give me something. What am I going to say? I'm just a girl of 17 years of age. Uh, she'd never prepared a sermon in her life. She didn't know go, how to go about preparing one. And just uh, nothing came to her. So she said, God, if ever you help, help me in my life, help me now. Just then, something happened. The power of God went surging through my body. Waves of glory and praise swept through my soul until I forgot the throng of eager faces that had a moment before seemed to swim before me. Forgot the footlights and the learned men with all their long-tailed coats. Forgot I was only a child of 18 and that many there with grey hair knew more in a moment than I was uh, in the natural condone lifetime. And immediately I was in the spirit. As she stood there before that crowd, that place that was packed to the hilt, God gave her this vision. And as she saw this vision, she preached for, I forget how long, she preached from this vision. So very briefly, this was the vision. It was sort of based on the, on the part I'm reading from Joel here. I'm going to restore to you the years. So up the top of your diagram, and I know it's very small, but up the top of the uh, diagram, you have a picture of a tree with so many fruit on it and the perfect church. And the Lord showed her in the vision and she actually preached from the vision. She preached from this vision. The Lord showed her in the vision that his ultimate intention was to have a perfect church. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Nothing's going to frustrate the word of God. He said, the word that has gone out of my mouth, I'm going to watch over to perform it, will not return unto me void. And when Jesus said, hey, pardon me getting excited, is that all right? When Jesus said, upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that word has gone out of his mouth. And it's not going to return unto him void. He's going to have a victorious church. Amen? Amen? When Jesus spoke to Paul and gave him a revelation of the church, he said, I'm going to have a church that's holy and without spot and without blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. It's going to be a glorious church. And until he has such a glorious church, the marriage of Christ and the church will not take place because Christ will not be married to a bride that's inferior to himself. He will not break his own marriage laws because he says in the Bible somewhere in a certain place. Uh, that's what you do when you can't remember the reference. Okay, that uh, he, uh, we are not to be unequally yoked together. So Christ will not marry a church that's inferior to himself. The church he's going to marry is going to be of like nature and substance and equal with him before the wedding takes place. 
So, perfect church. Amen. I believe it. God said it. That settles it. The devil fought it, but I believe it. That's it. Now, in the vision, she saw the palmer worm and all these different guys, uh, I mean, these uh, different insects that are mentioned here, they all belong to the locust family. But each of the locusts in this locust family, they do a certain devastating work and then what the previous uh, locust hasn't done, the next locust. So they are all in the locust family, but they each do their uh, devastating work. So she saw in the picture, as you go down on the left side here, lost, she saw how the palmer worm came in and all that we talked about last week, uh, she saw how the palmer worm came in, signs and wonders began to eat of the fruit, gifts of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, apostolic ministry, laying of hands and so forth. Then after the palmer worm had eaten all the fruit off and everything that that represented. Uh, she spelled it out in, in a little booklet here and in the chapter I did on that. Then the locust came in. And the locust, the next one, he began to eat all the leaves and everything like that. So the gifts of the Spirit, Holy Spirit baptism, evidence with speaking, tongues, plurality of eldership, local church, water baptism. And so the locust devoured certain things. And after the locusts had done his devastating work, then the canker worm came in. And the canker worm began to eat the twigs and the little uh, uh, green shoots there. And so, as we saw last week, uh, certain truths were lost the name in water baptism, creedal belief, worldliness crept into the church and so forth. After the canker worm had done his part, the ca- caterpillar Caterpillar, they're pillars you cater for. Uh, the caterpillar came in and he did his devastating work until the church entered what she saw in the vision, the dark ages. And it looked like an old stump, just dead, dry, old tree. But the Bible says somewhere in the book of Job that there is hope of a tree that if it is cut down, that through the scent of water it will be, uh, begin to grow again. I forget where it is, somewhere in the book of Job. So he was the church in the dark ages, like a dead church, like a dead stump. But there were waters underneath there, and God said, everything that's lost, I'm going to restore. So what was God's principle of restoration? I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 28. Some of the scriptures I'm uh, giving you tonight are not on your notes. Otherwise, there'll be too many sheets. Isaiah chapter 28, and just a principle, this would be application for those who are hermeneuticians, not interpretation. Isaiah chapter 28 and uh, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 9. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. Prophet is asking a couple of questions. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? The answer, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stumbling lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Paul takes this verse right out of its apparent context here and puts it in the tongue speaking chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, showing its link with the New Testament. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith they may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Stammering lips and another tongue, yet they would not hear. 
But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, Sunday night after Sunday night, restoration theology, Sunday morning after Sunday morning, life track after life track, track one, two, three, four, advanced track, advanced track. Just paraphrasing a little bit. Connor's paraphrased. So precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go, like, don't like the last part, fall backward and be broken, be snared and taken. Now, we use this as a principle, that's not proper interpretation, but when God said, I'm going to restore to the church everything that's been lost, he did not restore everything at once. I wish he had it. But the last th- truth lost is the first truth restored. So it's going to be line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, revival after revival, movement after movement, recovery of truth after recovery of truth, little time. And two, we come back to the cycle. So as uh, the Lord continued to show in the vision, that which the caterpillar hath eaten was restored. So truths, uh, of justification by faith. We'll put, it, put the answers on the overhead in a moment here. Uh, so what the caterpillar eaten is last thing lost, first thing restored. And then in a few years time, God began to move by his spirit again and all that the canker worm had eaten, God restored. Then later on, another few years time, God recovered further truths to the church. What the locusts had eaten, uh, God restored. And then the truths at the palmer worm had eaten, God was restoring. So line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept after precept, and uh, so forth until God's intention now, on the right hand side of your, uh, of your little picture there, the diagram, is restored, that God's ultimate intention is to have a glorious church. All right, now, because of our time's sake, let's go through the truths that we recovered over so many years. All right, now, these are approximate years, as I've got down the bottom of your notes, I think. Uh, Although these truths were in the word of God and there was always a faithful remnant, there was always, study church history, there was always a faithful remnant who believed in these things, persecuted, hated, driven underground. There was always a faithful remnant who believed such in their measure of light. But greater emphasis came on all these truths over the years and these periods of years were approximately given only for the emphasis that came in these years. So don't uh, do what some people uh, do, pin me down. Okay, now just before we start on that, just hold that a moment, thank you. I want you to turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 58, it's not on your notes. Isaiah 58, one other scripture before we start on this list here. Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58, and I'd like to read verse 12, and I'd just like to apply it to the situation here because as you see on the, uh, when you put your diagram together, from the early church, from AD about 30, 33, uh, right down to about AD 476, somewhere around there, uh, so roughly a period of 500 years, the truths were gradually destroyed and the church was robbed of these uh, truths. And this is a frightening thing from about AD 500 to 1500, roughly, approximately, almost a thousand years. The Bible was a forbidden book. The church was just in darkness. And as I said, you know, I think sometimes we take things for granted. How many really do appreciate the Word of God and how much liberty we have that God has given us? You know, people pay pay the price in blood to give us this Word. So almost for a thousand years, church in the dark ages. And God said it's not going to continue. Now, 
as we begin here, we have these promises of restoration. And so, number one here, AD 1380 to 1450, roughly. <laughs> oh, that's the other end. We're not there yet. All right, for you fill in there. I'll say it because of our valuable, valuable time here. Restoration of the scriptures. Restoration of the scriptures. In other words, there could be no recovery of truth or restoration of the truths that are lost until there was a restoration of the scriptures. So that's really important to remember. Okay, I don't know what's happening. So I'll have to say them here just because of our, our precious time here. So your first one there, AD 1380 to 1450, roughly, restoration of the scriptures. So in that period of time, the reformers, even before Martin Luther, translated the scriptures, got the scriptures into the language of the common people. And there could be, as I said, no recovery of truth until... Can we go back a bit? Yes. Uh, until there was recovery of the scriptures. Okay, restoration scriptures. All right, AD 1517. Uh, you'll have to fill in. We're not uh, quite there yet. Uh, justification by faith. The last truth lost. Justification by faith, which went into justification by works, is the first truth restored. So justification by faith under Martin Luther, roughly about that period of time. Next one, AD 1524. Uh, the truth of water baptism by immersion was recovered to the church. No longer sprinkling. We talked about the age of substitution of the dark ages, but water baptism by immersion. And, and, and as we'll see when we sort of come to our wrap-up, am I talking too fast? Just you think fast and write fast. You have to think fast. When we come to our wrap-up, the tragedy is, as we often say, the only thing we learn from church history is we never learn from church history. And so the first ones to receive a measure of light, they were persecuted. Now the tragedy is that the persecutor become the persecutors of the next visitation. So it's just tragic to read church history and see how the Lutherans and the Roman church, they drowned people, the Anabaptists who accepted water baptism. Many of them woke up and found themselves in heaven. So each little bit of light fought the other bit of life. Light, you know? So, all right, next one, A.D. 1737, the truth of, of sanctification was restored to the church. So line upon line, here a little, there a little, holiness of life of the believers, so sanctification. All right, now we can go to the uh, uh, presentation. Uh, next one here, 1830, priesthood of all believers. And how the priesthood was robbed in the dark ages and the priest class arose and took the priesthood of all believers away from them. And, 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 and uh, often I say this, that one of the dangers we have in our churches and other Protestant churches is that we can create what I call a Protestant form of Romanism. So that the apostle, prophets, evangelist, shepherd, teacher and so forth, we do the priestly ministry and you just pay up. You either give God a tip or a tithe and we do your priestly ministry. No, priesthood of all believers. Everybody said amen. So all the stuff that's going on today about whether women should be ordained to the priesthood or not, women, you're already ordained. Because we're all called to be priests and kings under the new covenant. Under the old covenant it was only men. It's a male chauvinist. But under the new covenant, men and women are called to be priests. And in Christ, there's neither male nor female. Now, at home, there is. 
that's why I, I had to do all the dishes this morning because they have been piling up. Anyway, so uh, my favourite song from old days, Leave the Dishes in the Sink. Okay, so sanctification, then water baptism by immersion, and then, uh, oh, we are, we're going the right way, aren't we? <laughs> okay, you work upward, that's right. All right, uh, AD 1906, thank you. Uh, the Holy Spirit baptism and the sign of speaking in tongues, and, and as we'll see, Every time God recovered truth, what do we do? We form our denominations around a fragment of truth and we form our denominational walls to keep the truth in and keep heresy out. And God says, don't fence me in. I've still got a lot more truth to recover. So God steps over the fence and now the persecuted become the persecutors. And so think of the evils. If you, if you knew a little bit of church history, which I'm sure most of you do, but how the, 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 uh, the, the justified fought the sanctified, like the two guys who fought over the blessing of holiness, they both proved they didn't have it. And uh, some of you will get that midnight tonight. And how the justified fought the water baptism, and the water baptism fought the sanctified, and the sanctified and the justified fought those who got the baptism of spirit with speaking in tongues. Oh. And then in AD 1920, rough years here, God recovered the truth of water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he had recovered the truth of water baptism by immersion, but they didn't see the truth of the name. And oh, what a lot of fights went on on that. I did a whole history section on that. Then AD 1946, sorry to say, were the ones who fought the uh, last visitation so much. But there were more truths that came out in that visitation than probably any, any other truth. Um, I don't know if I've got time to say them, but latter rain outpouring, apostles and prophets, gifts of the Holy Spirit, local church government, prophetic presbytery, uh, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, which we had time to talk about some of the gifts of the Spirit there. First principles of the doctrine of Christ, heavenly choir, uh, and so forth, feast of tabernacles, revelation of the Lord in the communion table. All right, so many truths. And then... As we keep going on, 1965, distinct emphasis came on the tabernacle of David. And it might surprise you, we take these things for granted, but you would be surprised some of the tracks and articles and tapes that I have against uh, myself as a heretic teaching on the tabernacle of David, so forth. Kingdom truths, final glory of the church. So what you've got in your diagram, everything that's been lost to the church, the Lord's going to recover. Now, how many will be honest with me? and say that we haven't got it all. Now we thank the Lord for the measure of truth that we have and that has been recovered, but there are still things that I believe God wants to intensify. How many would like to see a greater operation of the gifts of the Spirit? How many would like to see some more things of Hebrews 6, the principles there, recover? There's still some things we're after. So what I want to encourage you in this part is we need to continue to pray in our time of prayer Lord, restore to the church. We haven't got it all, Lord. We're not satisfied. We're satisfied with a dissatisfied satisfaction. Restore to the church the things that we still fully haven't got. We need to be praying there. How many can say that? So your church is going to be a victorious church. Now, how's our time going? In the uh, 1948 visitation, I was just reading a little bit of that. In a... Uh, Independent Assembly of God Bible College, 
William Branham had been there. We haven't got time to talk about William Branham and, and the sign that the angel gave to him in his hand as he laid hands on people and he was able to just tell their diseases, name and address and everything like that in the beginning of his ministry. And uh, these people began to seek the Lord and pray and fast and do what the book of Joel said, repent and humble themselves. And um, let me just read a little part of what happened that uh, February the 12th and 13th when God poured out his spirit in such an amazing way. And so many of these truths that we represent here in Waverly Christian Fellowship that maybe a lot of you don't realise, but uh, this is where that move of the Spirit come. He said, I shall never forget the morning that God moved into our midst in this strange new manner. Some students were under the power of God on the floor. Others were kneeling in adoration and worship before the Lord. The anointing deepened until the awe of God was upon everyone. The Lord spoke to one of the brethren, go and lay hands upon a certain student and pray for him. While he was in doubt and contemplation, one of the sisters who had been under the power of God went to the brother saying the same words and naming the identical student he was to pray for. He went in obedience and a revelation was given concerning the student's life and future ministry. Now, we take these things for granted, but remember back here a number of years, a lot of these things were counted heresy and so to say, many in the Pentecostal movement fought as the Pentecostal movement had been fought by the mainline, so Pentecostal churches fought this late visitation of the Spirit. So the pattern for the revival, many details concerning it were given. To this day I can remember gifts of the prophecy and we'll try to repeat some things here as they were spoken. These are the last days my people, the coming of the Lord draws nigh and I will move in the midst of my own. The gifts of the Spirit will be restored in my church. If you will obey me I shall immediately restore them. But oh my people I would have you to be reverent before me as never before. Take the shoes from off your feet, for the ground on which you stand is holy. If you do not reverence the Lord in his house, the Lord shall require it at your hands. Do not speak lightly of the things I'm about to do, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless. Do not gossip about these things. Do not write letters to your nearest friends of the new way in which the Lord moves, for they will not understand. If you do, if you disobey the Lord in these things, take heed lest your days be numbered in sorrow and you go too early to the grave. You uh, you have a baby and I will store my gifts to you. I'll indicate from time to time those who are received to be ready to receive the gifts of my spirit. They shall be received by prophecy and the laying of hands of the presbytery. Then he goes on that there is a visible manifestation of the presence of God as they sought God. Now, I want you to, uh, I want you to turn to, over to your next sheet here as time moves on. And I want you to turn to Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You're doing all right. I know I'm moving fast. I've got to do 22 chapters tonight. Okay, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1. And uh, so many translations bring out this verse uh, differently. So I'm going to give you what I've sort of put as a free paraphrase. 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, let me pick up in verse 12. How many have... Uh, NIV here. All right, how many have uh, New King James? How many have Old King James? Just give me an idea. Okay, I'm going to read it from Old and New and then give you a paraphrase which I've sort of combined out of 12 translations. <laughs> All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. I want everybody to say that expression, the present truth. Everybody say that, the present truth. Now, 
Uh, I haven't got time to go through a dozen translations on this. But present truth. So as I've looked at this over the years, and this was a great verse in the uh, 48, 49, 50 visitation of the Holy Spirit, when so much was happening in the voice of healing movement, the great men of God, women of God raised up, powerful operation of gifts of the Spirit, and then the sad decline. But present truth. So ask myself, what do you mean? I want you to be established in the present truth. Now, I wonder if we could have the overhead or the presentation just on again for a moment. What do I mean by present truth? What do we mean by present truth? All right, if you go back, if you were living in the time of Martin Luther, and uh, I said to you, I want you to be established in the present truth, the truth that is presently coming to you, what would it be? Justification. Justification by faith. Okay, let me read my paraphrase here. I will not neglect to always remind you of these things, though you know them, and are established ground and firmly fixed in the present truth, the truth that is presently coming to you, which you have received and that you now hold. So if I was living in Martin Luther's day and I said to you, I want you to be established in present truth, what was present truth in Martin Luther's day? All right, if I was living in the days of the Anabaptists and I said, I want you to be established in the present truth, the truth that's presently coming to you, what would it be? Water baptism by immersion. If I was living in the days of the holiness movement, the Wesley Brothers, or the uh, Azusa Street outpouring of the Spirit and so forth, and I said, I want you to be established in present truth, what was present truth? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, priesthood of all believers, and so forth. If I said, I want you to be established in present truth today, what is present truth? Whole list of them there. Now, let me say this very kindly. A lot of people in God's churches, because we have formed our denominations around a fragment of truth, and we sort of say, Lord, I've got it all, ask for no more. And God has to step over our denominational walls and say, I've still got a lot of truth to recover. I don't want us ever to be fenced in. I want God to be free in our place to take Waverly Christian Fellowship on. How many can say amen? So it just keeps us from forming our little walls and say, we've got the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. So a lot of people today are just catching up with previously recovered truth. Let alone present truth. So when people get water baptised, they say, oh, I've been a Christian for 99 years and you've never been water baptised. You're not up to present truth yet. When people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues, oh, you're just catching up to, oh, that was past truth. And, and we've got to maintain past recovered truth, but we've also got to move on in present truth. So there's a lot of things happening in the world today. If I had time, I'd tell you 14 things that are happening in the church, the body of Christ, largely today. Say, wow, I just want to have an ear to hear what the Spirit's saying. How many can say amen? All right. Present truth. Okay, turn to your sheet here. Okay, learning lessons from history. You can read this. The only lesson we learn from history is that we never learn from history. Greatest enemies of truth are its friends. Oh, I believe in the Bible from cover to cover, especially the covers. But I am an unbelieving believer. I don't believe in speaking in tongues. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. We've talked about that in previous sessions. The persecuted of the previous visitation and restoration of truth generally become the persecutors of the next visitation and restoration of truth. 
Four, controversy is not the real enemy of truth, only prejudice, bigotry and bias. These are often the evidence of insecurity, resistance of divine progress. Most of all who receive a fresh fragment of truth end up forming some denomination and become sectarian in order to protect that portion of truth. Most denominations die by reason of separating the person of Christ from doctrine and they contend for the doctrine apart from him. The same denominational walls and structure that hopes to keep truth in and error out can and does also keep further truth out. Human nature feels we have it all. Eight, those who hold tenaciously to past recovered truth generally reject present recovered truth, holding to what God said in the past rather than hearing what God is saying in the present. They generally miss present truth coming in their own generation. Number nine, one of the greatest sins of the church individually and corporately is the sin of unbelief. That is the year. We talked about this last week. That is using the word to create unbelief and produce unbelieving believers. Number 10, every work of God and every recovery of truth is attacked by Satan, either by counterfeit manifestations, human carnality, or fragment of truth taken to extreme, thus producing heresy. And Connor's definition of heresy, heresy is a fragment of truth taken to extreme out of proportion with the whole body of truth. 11, every recovery of truth has been born out of prayer, intercession, pangs, and soul travail. Such are generally born in a manger, a stable place, and not in the high places, the temple, the cathedrals. Only wise men see the guiding star that leads them to the truth personified while religious leaders miss it. 12, every recovery of truth, especially among believers, still has has to have leaven purged from it. Traditional teachings are brought into the new visitation so often instead of allowing the spirit to purge out the leaven from the pure meal, purge the truth of mixture uh, of error. 13, one of the greatest dangers of those who emphasize present truth is to neglect the previously recovered truth, thus creating imbalance in the church. So, you know, if somebody said to me, well, what are you, Kevin? Well, as far as justification by faith, I could be a good Lutheran. As far as water baptism, I could be a good Baptist. As far as sanctification, blessing of holiness, I could be a salvationist. As far as baptism of the speaking tongues, I could be a good Pentecost. As far as... Don't fence me in. 14. The Lord always comes to his own and his own receive him not, but to as many as do receive, to them he gives. Revival and recovery is always to the church, never to the world. The world is awakened when the church is revived. Number 15, I don't like this part. God generally removes the leadership of the previous visitation when he's about to begin the new visitation. The Moses have to go before the Joshua takes the people on further. I don't like that little part. Why did you put that in there for, Kevin? <laughs> 16 is an interesting one. Human nature seeks to denominationalize. Denominations are usually formed around a personality, the Lutherans, the Westlands, so forth. All experiences. The first church of the second blessing of the third baptism of the Holy Ghost with fire and tongues. Grace Church. Pentecostal church, doctrinal emphasis, forms of government, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Apostolic. See, we've got to come up with a denominational name. 
Thank you, Kevin, for that interesting point. And uh, why do we name the name? Why do we try and emphasize? How many are trying to God for a new name? Thank you, Kevin, for that. Good point, too. Number 17, the failure of all previous movements of God necessitates a fresh move of the Holy Spirit and will continue to do so until God gains his ultimate intention. Only new wineskins can receive new wine. And down the bottom, as we've got two or three minutes here, God's eternal ultimate purpose is Matthew 16, he's going to have a victorious church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Everybody said amen. In Ephesians 5, he's going to have a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I believe it. That's it. God said it. And he said, the word that's gone out of my mouth is not going to return unto him void, but is going to accomplish that which he pleases. John 17, he prayed that we all might be one, not up in heaven, but that the world might believe. It's too late up in heaven. How many think the Lord's got to do something in the church? Numbers 14 says... The earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want to finish with from Amy McPherson's uh, Not This Lost and Restored out of a full book. And boy, this, this is such a challenge. This was given about the 1920s. So, well, Lord, here it is, 1999. We're entering a new millennium. Listen to this prophecy. And uh, I'd like to encourage you to say amen. God, let it be in our fellowship. So in part of the prophecy I'm quoting, she says in this prophecy, O my people, seek no longer fleshly things, seek not earthly things, but seek the things of the Spirit. Be not encumbered with many cares, O for people of one accord in one place with all things in common, none calling aught they possess their own. How I could show forth my glory, yes, they would move heaven and earth with their prayers. Can you not perceive my plan? Can you not understand my workings? Behold, I show you a mystery. Listen to this. I have called nations from nations. I have separated people from people. I have called churches from churches. I have called out the sanctified from the lukewarm. I have called out a baptized company from the sanctified. But behold, I am doing a new work. I am seeking to call out a baptized people from a baptized people who will go all the way to the standard of my perfection. All have failed as a complete body to go all the way and to measure up to the word. But I will have a people who will not be satisfied with aught but my best perfection. A people who will not slumber nor sleep, but who will watch with me this one remaining hour. Through this people will I show forth mighty signs and wonders. The people shall marvel before them, saying, What manner of these people are these? They will seem but folly to the world, but through them shall the wisdom of Jehovah be made manifest. Weaken themselves, but in me they will be strong and do exploits. Dumb in themselves in their own words, slow to speak, few in words, but they will speak forth my words in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. How many think it's time for that prophecy to come to pass? Let's stand. God bless you for being such a wonderful bunch, and I've enjoyed sharing these eight sessions with you on restoration theology. How many feel you do have a greater sense of direction? This is where God's going. I'm going with God. So let's lift our hands to the Lord. It's time to close in prayer. Father, we lift up our hands to you as an act of surrender to your will and to your purposes. And Father, we just pray your kingdom come.
your rule, your reign, your authority, your will be done in earth, this earth, not that earth out there, we're made from the dust of the earth, your will be done in this earth, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let it be. Fathers, we lift our hands as a token of surrender to you. We surrender to your word. We thank you for the truth of restoration theology, Father. And Lord, we want to be established in the present truth. Truth is coming to the church throughout the world. So many things, you're moving in so many places, Father. And Lord, as way of the Christian fellowship, we don't want to be one step behind your purposes and what you're doing. We want to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Father, we thank you for all you've given us. We thank you for so many truths that we've been recovered and that we enjoy and experience. But Lord, we know you have much more for us. Give us uh, grace to move on with you. Take away any uh, Laodicean lukewarmness, self-satisfied, neither hot nor cold, neither one thing or the other. Take it away, Lord. Help us uh, not to be like Laodicea and feel we have need of nothing, that we've just got such a great church. Thank you, Lord, for all we've got, but we know there's much more. Restore, Lord. Restore to the church everything that's been lost until the church goes back and greater. Greater glory. You said the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. The glory of the last day church will be greater than the early church. Let it be. We say, Amen. So be it. So be it. Everybody say it. Amen. So be it. So be it. Let it be, Father. We thank you for it. Lord, just keep us seeking after you. And just lay upon people's hearts the message of restoration, crying and seeking your face. Restore, restore, restore. We thank you for your promise. It will surely come to pass. And we give you all the praise and glory in the name of the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.